Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I am excited to be with you this Sunday morning. I wanted to talk today about the end of the world. As you know, the Mayan calendar comes to an end five days from today. And that fact has caused many to believe that there is some kind of an underlying prophecy in that of an end to the world or even the universe as we know it on Friday of next week. So I thought that it would be good to talk about that today. So as previously stated, December 21st, that is next Friday, will bring an end to the current period on the Mayan calendar. There are multiple interpretations of what that meant to the Mayans. Some give it a positive read or a positive interpretation of the end of that calendar. I've heard this is the first of the seven Mayan prophecies, each of which seems very new agey in its thinking. But anyway, the positive interpretation of the end of this era on the Mayan calendar is that next Friday will usher in a period of universal utopia and human enlightenment. This is, again, no different than the misguided ideals of secular humanism, the New Age movement, and other perspectives of history. Malcolm Muggeridge hit the nail on the head saying the depravity of man is at once the most empirically verifiable reality, but at the same time, the most intellectually resisted fact. If you're one of the people that believe that this 5,000-plus-year-old Mayan prophecy is able to predict that next Friday all of humanity will miraculously enter into this period of enlightenment and human benevolence, I would encourage you to rethink. I promise you that selfish human beings will not magically transform into selfless, altruistic benefactors next Friday. I guarantee you we are not going to instantly enter into a period of human enlightenment where everyone is peaceful and loving and caring about their neighbor. I wish that were the case, but it's not going to be the case. So I have a hard time with that so-called positive read on the Mayan calendar prophecy, if you will. A lot of others give the prophecy a negative read. They say that December 21st will end the current cycle on the Mayan long count calendar and that the Mayans believed that each cycle ended with destruction, at which point a new cycle began with creation. And if that's the case, it stands to reason that next week would be the end of the universe as we know it. Although the case could be made that 2012 has been quote-unquote destructive in various different ways, its actual end next Friday is quite unlikely, I assure you. This negative read is the most commonly held perspective concerning the Mayan calendar, and it's one that is definitely worrying quite a few people. In fact, a Reuters poll from this past May found that 10% of people surveyed globally believe that the Mayan calendar prediction or prophecy of an impending apocalypse next Friday is likely. That is absolutely terrifying that 10% of the people that you cross paths with this week actually believe the world might come to an end next week. It's unbelievable to me that that many people would be so easily convinced by something so ambiguous and vague from so long ago. So I think it's important to have a bit of a reality check at this point. 
What else have the Mayans accurately predicted? See, before we would believe a prophecy of that magnitude, even if it were the case that that was the prophecy, again, there are lots of people that don't even think it's a prophecy at all. Just the turn of a calendar, as we all will turn our calendars this January 1st. But even if this were prophetic in some sense, why would we even believe such a prophecy unless there was a proven track record of successful prophecies? And the reality is that out of all the prophecies I've seen from the Mayans, and again, I am not a Mayan expert, so I haven't seen that many. But out of the ones that I have seen, they all seem rather unfalsifiable and interpretable any number of ways. Just like I mentioned two different interpretations for the December 21st prophecy. So, there have been many prophecies like these throughout history, and they aren't really prophetic at all. They're just statements that are somewhat ambiguous and can be translated or interpreted who knows how many different ways. They are not falsifiable. They really don't tell us anything accurate about the future whatsoever. So what do we really have to fear about next week? Let's revisit the question. The end of the Mayan long count calendar occurs next Friday. And the question so many people are asking is, is this world going to end? So as we revisit the question, is this world going to end? I must say, yes, this world is going to end. You heard me right. This world is going to end. It's just not going to end anytime that soon. And it surely is not going to end next Friday. You have my word. I'll be on the air next Sunday morning with a Christmas special. We will not be ceasing to exist on Friday. Science says the universe could cease to exist via a big freeze or a heat death somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to the 10th to the 76th years from now. I don't believe the English language has a word for that many years from now. So it's not anything to be overly worried about, and it's a long time past next Friday. Similarly, the Earth could get taken out sooner by a comet or something like that, but none of those are anticipated for next Friday. So all things considered, science agrees that the universe and the Earth will someday end, but just not next Friday. Now, when we look at Scripture, a minute ago I talked about the reliability of prophetic claims and whether or not we could trust certain prophecies based on the track record of previous prophecies that is the case with Scripture, and I am going to elaborate a little bit about that on this show. But that considered, Scripture tells us a whole lot about the quote-unquote end days. And I think that what Scripture says, because of its proven track record with prophecy, stay tuned for more on that, can be trusted. And I believe that it is more trustworthy than the science or any of the perspectives of other worldviews including the Mayan long count calendar. So prophecy considered, all sorts of worldviews make prophetic claims. And these other worldviews that make prophetic claims make ambiguous and unfalsifiable prophetic claims. And sometimes they also make falsifiable ones that constantly fail. 
So either the prophecies of these other worldviews are unfalsifiable and could mean anything depending on whatever you want it to mean, or they're falsifiable and found false. That being explained, let me explain a few of those just to contrast them with what we see in Scripture. The Jehovah's Witnesses, a branch that left Christianity and began a new religion just over a hundred years ago, are famous for making failed prophecies, and they have made a ton of them in their short history. Here are just a few. They prophesied that Christ would return in 1877. You heard it, that Christ's second coming would be in 1877. That did not happen. So they instead said that he returned spiritually in 1872. That's a very convenient way to get out of a failed prophecy to say, oh, we really meant something different. You'll see in a minute that other people have done that same thing. Again, in 1914, they said that all of Earth's leadership would be overthrown by Christ's. That didn't happen in 1914. Then they said Armageddon would take place in 1915. Armageddon didn't take place in 1915. Then they said in 1925, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the prophets of the Old Testament would return to this earth. Again, that didn't happen in 1925. We see that they made a tremendous number of failed prophecies about the future. Those did not occur, and they have since quit trying to make such prophecies about the future, realizing that they never came up correct. Other current examples of people making failed prophecies would include Harold Camping, who claims to be a Christian, who claims to be doing what Christ said no one could do. See, Jesus said no one would know the day or the hour of his return. Yet here we have Harold Camping claiming to know the day and the hour of Christ's return. So from scripture, we know whatever he comes up with, it won't be accurate. Harold Camping said famously, this was broadcast throughout the U.S., that Jesus would return on May 21st, 2011. We were actually doing a rafting trip down the Animus that day with a bunch of students that were here for our Crush Fear Summer Project. And I remember telling them all in the parking lot of Albertsons after we finished our raft trip, thank God the world didn't come to an end today. I was being a bit sarcastic, but... We all knew that somebody trying to make that claim in contradiction to what Jesus himself said would not be accurate. So when Jesus did not return on May 21st of 2011, Harold Camping pulled the same maneuver that the Jehovah's Witnesses did. He said that Jesus spiritually came back to earth and that no one else could be saved and that the physical destruction of the earth would happen on October 21st of 2011. Again, October 21st of 2011 came and passed with no physical destruction of the earth. We know that because we're all still here. So again, Harold Camping, trying to make these prophetic claims about the future, comes up way short and is absolutely wrong. Another famous quote-unquote prophet would be Nostradamus. And his prophecies have been tweaked all sorts of ways to make them look accurate. But scholars of all sorts would agree that there is nothing truly prophetic in any of his writings. There have also been others. So when we look at the slew of various religions and worldviews making prophetic claims, and we realize that they're not accurate, we're left with the 
assumption and the conclusion that those prophecies are not trustworthy. So a lot of scholars, based on that and based on a perspective of metaphysical naturalism, have thrown the proverbial baby out with the bathwater, saying no prophecy is accurate. And that's something that they just can't do. And we're going to talk in a minute about some of the accurate prophecies of Scripture and why we can trust what Scripture says about the end times. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution on KDUR 91.9 and 93.9 FM here in Durango and KDUR.org online. I am excited that you're listening. We're talking about the end of the world, which is scheduled for next Friday, according to some interpretations of the Mayan long count calendar, which has a cycle ending on Friday of next week. Some would say that is the end of the world. Others would say it is the beginning of a very bright new era. I would encourage you to evaluate the evidence and realize that probably nothing out of the ordinary is going to happen next Friday. And we've been talking about that and talking about some failed prophecies of other worldviews and why they can't be trusted. Now I want to talk a little bit about why we can trust prophecy in Scripture, specifically as it concerns the end of the universe and the end of Earth. So, biblical prophecies stand alone from all the rest as accurate. I'm going to share a prophecy that many have said is post-written history. This prophecy is so accurate from the Old Testament that critics for years had to say it was post-written history. Unfortunately for the critics, there is historical evidence that it is not post-written history, and I'll explain that as well this morning. This is an exciting prophecy coming from the book of Daniel, coming from chapter 8 of the book of Daniel. In this chapter, Daniel prophesies Alexander the Great in un believable detail 250 years before Alexander the Great was even born. So again, this prophecy predates Alexander the Great by 250 years, and we know that it predates him and is not post-written history because Josephus, the first century AD Jewish historian, claims that Alexander the Great himself was given a copy of the scroll of Daniel and read this prophecy and recognized that it was about himself. Pretty phenomenal and absolute evidence that this is not post-written history, but in reality predates Alexander the Great by 250 years. Again, here's the prophecy. Daniel prophesied that a ram with two horns would expand its empire north, west, and south. This is in verses 1 through 4. And then Daniel himself said that this prophecy of the ram described the Medo-Persian Empire. That's in verse 20. So again, not only is Daniel making a prophetic claim here, he's even interpreting the prophecy so we know who it's concerning. He says that a male goat from west of that Medo-Persian Empire would overtake the land swiftly, conquering the entire Medo-Persian Empire. That's in verses 5 through 8. He then later clarifies that this goat is Greece. So 
that in itself is an amazing prophecy of the power of the Medo-Persian Empire and the next chapter in that story, the chapter of Greece overtaking the Medo-Persian Empire swiftly, something that Alexander the Great did. The male goat in this prophecy has a single horn between its eyes. That's in verse 5. Daniel clarifies in verse 21 that that horn is the first king of Greece. Now, Alexander's father, Philip II of Macedon, was a Macedonian king. He conquered and united the Greek city-states in 338 BC, and he was planning to overtake the Persian Empire, but was assassinated before he could do so two years later in 336 BC. Alexander took over as the king of Macedon, but he spread the Greek culture that his father had unified throughout the world, becoming the first king of the new Greek empire that dominated the known world. So when we read in Daniel that this first horn between the eyes of this male goat, which is Greece, is the first king of Greece, we realize it's speaking prophetically of Alexander the Great in unparalleled detail. Alexander the Great became effectively that first king prophesied by Daniel that took over all of the Medo-Persian Empire and expanded that territory even further. Then Daniel goes on to tell us that that first horn between the eyes, the first king of Greece, would be broken at the height of its power. In other words, at a young age, at the pinnacle of his leadership and that he would be replaced by four other horns weaker than itself. That's in verse 8. It says that the horn would not be broken by human agency. In other words, that horn would not be broken in battle. Alexander would not lose in battle. We know that Alexander died at the age of 32 from some illness and possibly a sexually transmitted disease. Whatever the case, he died of an illness, not in battle. Again, prophesied by Daniel some 250 years before he even lived. Then Daniel says that the four horns that replace the horn in the middle of the eyes, which was Alexander the Great, would grow in its place. And that's in verse 22, that they would be weaker than the first. We know that from history. Finally, Daniel says in verses 9 through 12, that one of those four horns would grow to be stronger than the others. We know from history that this was the Seleucid Empire, which took control in 198 BC. Daniel continues prophesying in chapter 8, verse 9, that that horn, which we know is the Seleucid Empire, would take over Israel, and that it would set itself up as the object of worship in the temple, replacing the regular sacrifice, defiling the place of worship, and flinging truth to the ground. You can read that in verses 10 through 12 of the prophecy. We know that Antiochus IV Epiphanes, a Seleucid ruler, put a statue of Zeus in the temple, making Greek culture the object of worship in the temple. He sacrificed a pig on the altar, replacing the regular sacrifice, and he defiled the place of worship, prohibiting Judaism and following God's truth. In other words, flinging God's truth to the ground. If you look at all this, we see the prophecy of the power of the Medo-Persian Empire. 
we see the prophecy of the arrival of a Greek empire that would overthrow the Medo-Persian empire. We see the prophecy of the ruler of that Greek empire who would take over all this land by a very young age. We see the prophecy that this leader would die at a young age at the pinnacle of his power and not by human agency, but by a disease. We see the prophecy that that leader's empire would be replaced by four. That's exactly what happened with Alexander the Great. And that those four together would be weaker than the one that they replaced. We see again that that was the case. We see then that one of those four would grow to be more powerful than the others. That was the Seleucid dynasty. We see then that that one would come to control Israel and would set itself up as the object of worship in the temple, that it would replace the regular sacrifice, that it would defile the place of worship, and that it would fling truth to the ground. Every single one of the aspects of this prophecy were fulfilled in detail. And it's amazing to note, yet again, that that was prophesied 250 years before the fact. And it's amazing to note even further that we have historical evidence that this is not post-written history, but is truly prophetic. Now, when we look at something so astonishing and so accurate, how can we come to any other conclusion than that it is trustworthy about other claims? And all of Scripture is filled with prophecy. It's been stated that over 1,000 biblical prophecies have come true. And it should also be noted that there were over 100 prophecies about Jesus alone. Jesus was prophesied to be a descendant of David, Daniel, whose prophecy about Alexander the Great we just read, also prophesied about the Messiah, and not just prophesied about the Messiah, but in chapter 9, one chapter later than the chapter we just read about Alexander the Great, Daniel prophesies what most scholars believe is the exact day that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem to be crucified for the sins of God's people unbelievable and this was prophesied 490 years before the messiah and again many scholars believe it prophesies to the very day when jesus entered jerusalem to be crucified you could check out our show about messianic prophecies which includes the math on that so you can hear how it prophesies to the day when the messiah would enter jerusalem that's at godsolutionshow.com and just look for messianic prophecies that's the title of that show. Again, unbelievable accuracy in Daniel. Furthermore, another prophecy about the Messiah is that he would be born of a virgin. Similarly, we're told the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. We're also told that the Messiah would be preceded by John the Baptist. We're also told that the Messiah would perform miracles. We know from scripture that Jesus performed miracles and we know from even hostile accounts that he was called a sorcerer. So we know that this prophecy is accurate. We know that the Messiah would be crucified. In other words, that the Messiah would die by crucifixion. And what's phenomenal about that prophecy, which is found in both Psalm 22 and Zechariah 12.10, is that this was made somewhere around a thousand years before the Messiah and about 500 years before crucifixion was even invented. Unbelievable accuracy in prophecy. Next, we read prophetically in Psalm 1610 and in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah who had died for the sins of God's people 
would be risen again and not left to die, but that he would conquer death for you and me. Unbelievable. I just shared with you eight prophecies about the Messiah. The reason I shared eight and not more, there are over a hundred, is that the chance of one person fulfilling just eight has been calculated at one in 10 to the 17th power. The world population in all of history is 10 to the 11th power. So we know that if anyone fulfilled even just those eight prophecies, that person would be the only person in the history of the human people to be able to accurately state that they fulfilled those prophecies. So, so many prophecies in scripture. And I read a few about the Messiah. And before that, we read this phenomenal prophecy from Daniel chapter 8 about Alexander the Great. It's at this point that I really feel the critic has no leg to stand on. The evidence for accurate prophecy in scripture tells us conclusively that scripture is inspired by God himself who knows the future and who states the future from the beginning. He knows what will happen before it ever happens. And only God knows what will happen before it ever happens. So the critic is left with only the accusation that in a metaphysically naturalist universe, no such prophecies can exist. So we're going to toss them out without even evaluating them. Well, that's an incredibly bad way to treat the evidence. The critic does the same thing as we've talked about on this show with the evidence for the resurrection. And the critic just can't do that. Now, if you'd like to look into what the Bible says about the quote-unquote end times, I would encourage you to go to Matthew chapter 24. You could look that up in your own Bible at home, where Jesus talks a whole lot about the end times. If you don't have a Bible, you could go to an online site where you can read it. I would suggest you check out studylight.org. Again, that's studylight.org. You'll be able to type in Matthew 24 right there and read the whole chapter yourself and see what Jesus said about the end times. And based on the track record of fulfilled prophecy in Scripture and based on the track record of Jesus Christ himself, I believe that you can believe what he says and the rest of what the Bible says about the end times more than anything else that's ever been stated about the end times. So, Matthew 24 describes a lot about Christ's second coming, but even that won't end the world, so to say. His second coming will be followed by his millennial reign. Again, the JWs misprophesied that, and that millennial reign on earth will be followed by the earth being made new. So, no matter how you look at it, hard times are definitely ahead. And Matthew 24 describes some of those perilous times, wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and natural disasters and so much more, so much of what we're seeing around us today. But even knowing that, Jesus said we would know the season, but not the day or the hour. So we don't know the day that he'll return, and I don't believe it'll be next Friday. So no matter what your fears about the future and the danger that lies ahead, we should remember Jesus's promise in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There are so many worries. So many people are worried about an impending apocalypse. Others are worried about the physical cliff coming up. 
Still others are frustrated, sad, overwhelmed, stressed out, and depressed. This is one of the most depressing times of the years, typically. So whatever you're worried about, I want you to know that Jesus has the answers. In fact, Jesus is the answer. So what about the Mayan calendar? Well, you have my word. The world will not end on Friday. We'll be on the air next Sunday morning with a Christmas special that I hope you'll tune in for. So whatever you're anxious about, Jesus is the answer. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And if you've never taken that step, you can do that this morning, saying, Jesus, I trust you. Please come into my heart, forgive my sins, be my Savior and Lord, and make me the kind of person that you want me to be. I would encourage you to join First Baptist this morning. They meet on the southeast corner of East 3rd Avenue and 11th Street, and they'll be meeting at 1045 a.m. Get all of our previous shows at GodSolutionShow.com, and please let us know what you think. We appreciate your comments and questions. Please tune in next week for our Christmas special with two world-renowned experts on the reliability and historicity of the Gospels and the message that we celebrate this Christmas, the birth of Christ. Remember, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great Sunday, and Merry Christmas.